there's that old metaphor of a locksmith. He gets a call from a couple that they're locked out of their house or car on a cold day. And the locksmith gets there and he fumbles around. He's new. It takes him an hour. And then finally they get him in. And the bill for that is $85 or $100 that they're charging for this hour. And they gladly pay because it took him... He was obviously working hard for an hour. Right. And then that same locksmith studies and practice and becomes good. And then the same couple calls five years later, comes over, and within one minute, he's able to, to get them in, charges them $100. And they say, whoa, what are you what are you doing? Like, you were only here for one minute. How right. can you charge that? Well... The outcome's the same, but it's all the practice, all the expertise that goes into it. And right. so with our staff, like the the better we've gotten, the faster we are. We need, you know, we, we know what we're looking for. Welcome to the Small Business Storyteller Show, the podcast designed to learn from the successes and the failures of small businesses making an impact. My name is Seth Silvers, and after four years of helping small businesses learn to market with stories, I've learned that someone might be selling something similar to you, but nobody, absolutely no one, can compete with your stories. This show is dedicated to diving into the one thing that makes every small business unique, their story, and learning from the good and the hard parts. If you see business as a tool for good, and you want to learn from others who believe the same, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Small Business Storyteller Show. Welcome back to the Small Business Storytellers, everybody. I am excited today because uh, we get to sit down with one of my good friends who has really been a good friend since day one of starting my own business four or five years ago, however long it was. Um, and if you are in Northern Colorado, then likely you, you or someone that, you know, knows Patrick Edmiston very well. Uh, he seems to know the entire city or have photographed most of the city. Um, and so this is a fun conversation because, uh, there are a lot of photographers out there, but there's not a lot that I think have done it for as long or done it as well as Patrick. And so we get to dive into that, but also dive a little bit more into, just Patrick's overall entrepreneurial journey that's entailed quite a few different things. So Patrick, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And uh, to start, just give us some context for what does your life in your business look like um, for somebody who does not know who you are? Uh, what does life look like for you right now? Yeah, well, with that intro, I like to joke that um, people call me the mayor of Fort Collins and I say, no, I'm not. I'm not the mayor, but I I do know him personally, and we get beers. So, <laughs> it, running a photography business, I, I do have a very social job, and Foco right now is um, about a half million dollar a year business, and we'd love to see that grow. But I have five employees. Um, we're doing photo and video. We get to travel. Um, a week from today, we go to Napa to film a music festival doing both photo and video for that. You guys have done that festival for a long time. For about four years now, yep. And then we go from there to Hawaii to shoot a video, and then from Hawaii to Patagonia. Sweet. So I'm getting to to travel the world. I'm not 
getting rich, but um, building a business, building a brand. Um, it's kind of a, a look at where Foco is right now. We, mm-hmm. we have some really great recurring clients, and but we're still doing some of the small family photos, senior, senior right. photos and stuff like that too. That's cool. When and how did it all get started for you? Yeah, I kind of came into photography a somewhat different route. I went to school for architectural design and construction management and was coming out of grad school in 2009. And the economy wasn't really booming for construction at that point. And I had run my own business before doing sales. And I thought, hey, I can start a photography business and mm-hmm. and go after that. So I, I did. I also started an advertising sales company. And they both grew to the point in 2011. I had to decide which one I wanted to go right. with full time. And I, I kind of jumped full-time into photography at that point. So then that was, you said that was 2011, you jumped full-time into photography. And, um, I guess like throughout that journey, I feel like there's been, I've kind of seen it evolve and everybody's seen it evolve. Like when did you, how long was it just you? When did you start bringing other people onto your team? Cause a lot of photographers, it's just them. A lot of people don't, it seems like that's a really hard barrier to break. Right. And I guess I started pretty much immediately bringing someone on. So started with Tori Bauer actually came on part-time editing photos for me back in 2011. And when she had to go back to her other full-time job mm-hmm. in the fall, I was introduced to Shay Fitzgerald um, through my sister and my girlfriend at that time. And Shay said she had a passion for photography. She wanted to to come on board. She was happy to do whatever. And I I asked her what her experience was, and she said she didn't have any. (laughs) But it it just timed out perfectly where Mm -hmm. I needed someone. She was looking, and then she's been with me now for, it'll be eight years in August. Um, Which, how old was she at the time? Because Shay is really young now. She was pretty young. It was uh, 10 days before her 16th birthday. Okay. So 10 days of slave labor and then official employment. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I, think, I think it was legal um, <laughs> at that time. I think she only had to be 14. But and I... she's like... I mean, now she's a magician. I, yeah. She's amazing. As a 23-year-old, she's one of the top photographers in the state. And she's amazing. Um, so I, I walked into having employees pretty early on and then I grew pretty drastically when I partnered with another company called Studio Time that we looked to start and we actually did start the downtown artery which was a creative space for artists so there were studios um, ended up opening up a concert venue and and other things but at that point when I split away from the Bradley family, we now had two graphic designers, a videographer, Shay was still with me. And so it went from a two person team to a six person team pretty, pretty quickly. What caused you to make the jump to like bringing in, you know, hiring a videographer and bringing in graphic design. And it seems like the scope of the work you did kind of was continuing to grow. Was that intentional? by you or did it kind of because I know those things can 
our scope can kind of grow as clients say, Hey, can you do this? And can you do this? Like how did that happen? It was partly intentional and partly, um, starting the artery and partnering with the Bradley family, they already had some of those people in place. Okay. And it was kind of an unintended consequence that when we split from them to take back a hundred percent control of FOCO, um, the graphic designer, who's one of my good friends, um, came with me. And so while I had done some graphic design in the past, I never would have probably hired a full-time graphic designer if it hadn't been for starting the downtown artery. And so video was a little different. I kind of, you know, for a, (laughs) it's a horrible word. Um, I I kind (laughs) of, Shuffled into video through music video. Okay. Um, I was dating a musician at the time, and so trying to make music videos on the cheap, I kind of taught myself how to do that, and Mm. the Nikon D750 was an amazing camera, and I guess it was actually the 7500 before we got a 750 that that helped shoot 1080 video, and we, we shot it all ourselves. So got into video, needed extra help because we had clients just asking for it. So brought on Hudson Bloom, mm-hmm. and he helped take our video program to the, the next level for sure. Right. Yeah, he was he did awesome work, and now he's in Virginia. He's right? in Virginia opening up a, an escape room business. <laughs> but he's an amazingly talented video producer crazy down yeah yeah um so kind of continuing to progress with that story you guys you helped join you helped start the artery now you have a team of like six i remember at another co-working space uh, i would often run into you because we would both be there at like midnight or 1 a.m and this was before i was married so that made more sense and i didn't have somebody telling me to come home at normal hours so I remember one night in particular, you were telling me that you were kind of like thinking and dreaming about this space that was across the street that another company owned, but they were about to just kind of turn it into a bunch of cubicles and stuff. So tell me a little bit about what the Articulate is and how that kind of became a part of FOCO's journey. Yeah, and it, it actually goes back to, I look at a journal I kept back in 2006 through 2009 hmm. as I was launching my photography business. It kind of started off wanting to be more of a community. And so at the Artery, I feel we really did capture that and we created a community of artists. Right. And the, the drawback, I guess, is as a professional creative with corporate clients, it wasn't just me in an art studio. We also had to be public facing. Mm-hmm. And I wanted a conference room. I wanted, you know, clean offices right. and, and stuff like that. And um, Galvanized Next Door, which you mentioned, mm-hmm. and I don't know how much we have to avoid names, but the other co working space um, had that professional feel, but they didn't have that drive for creativity or at least mm-hmm. I didn't pick up on that. And yeah, it was so a little more tech focused. Creating a space creative. with both that professional and creative drive was 
kind of always part of the DNA of FOCO. Mm-hmm. Separating it out to a separate company made sense, but we were already renting the photo studio, and so creating the co-working space, the articulate, was kind of a natural evolution. FOCO was growing. We needed more space, mm-hmm. but we weren't big enough to take over that, that whole building. Right. Um, so the friends around me at that time encouraged me to do that. And yeah, in 2016, we, we launched the articulate. Yeah. It's crazy. This will be the fourth year while coming up, I guess in what June. Yeah. Three year anniversary in July 1st. Okay. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, and I've been here in the art, we're recording this in the articulate and I've been here since the start and now it's, I mean, what is there? 50, 60 members. It's about 75. 75? Yeah, Yeah, 75 members in a variety of creative spaces that have worked here um, that come here every day. And how does that, like FOCO, your core business, has still been like a driving force. And so has that been hard to stay focused when you pretty much have two babies? Uh, And talk to me about like, explain a little bit how you do stay focused or how you switch hats effectively to where you're not just kind of halfway doing two things, but you really feel like you're doing a good job with what you're doing. Sure. And depending on the day, I guess that you talk to me, I don't, <laughs> don't know if I feel like I'm doing a good job, but I, I think it starts with having good people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, not only do they help with getting the tasks done, but they also help give you energy And so with the Articulate, um, our latest community managers, Chelsea and Kate, do a great job of of pushing me to show up. Mm -hmm. Um, Within FOCO, um, that has been the main breadwinner. It's the easiest to scale instantly. Mm -hmm. The Articulate is more of a long play. And so every new member we add might add to to, you know, $5,000 per year, depending on what level they're at. But mm-hmm. you don't see that all right away. Whereas one video job might add 10 or 15,000 mm-hmm. right away. Um, and so FOCO has always been the easiest, um, to just hustle and yeah. grind and go out and, and make money. And, mm-hmm. The hard part is that the financial strain that starting the articulate put on me put an additional strain on FOCO to come up and save the day. And so mm-hmm. we had to take on extra work um, that the employees of FOCO weren't necessarily seeing the benefit. So yeah. we put it on our, our backs and, you know, fortunate to have Shay and Ryan and Reed mm-hmm. and at that time Jameson and and Hudson even, um, mm-hmm. and Aaron that kind of helped take that on and right. they see the benefit through the articulate, but I think it has put a, a strain on there that just now is, I think, starting to dissipate mm-hmm. as the articulate stands on its own. Yeah. Now we're able to, to see the, the fruit of our labor within FOCO also. That's cool. Yeah, it seems like the last few months there's been a really good rhythm mm-hmm. and just like progress in the articulate, which has been great. With with FOCO, and I, I mentioned this earlier, but I, th- I think it's really interesting that you guys have a team. Like you have a photography business and most people 
it's a business, but they're freelancers. Like it's, it's their thing. They're doing their, you know, they're doing the capturing the photos, they're editing, they're doing the client work. A lot of people seem to struggle to really break that like individual creative business kind of from the solopreneur to the actual business owner. Um, from your perspective and, you know, obviously not just like pointing out all the wrong things people do, but like, what do you see as some of the main things that hold creative business owners back from actually building it into like a business as opposed to just staying, staying on your own? Well, I think staying on your own, um, for a lot of people is actually the smartest thing to do. And I'm not saying that having a team is even better than staying on my own. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's many days where I think about scaling back as it would probably be more profitable for me mm-hmm. currently if if that's all I was. But I do think there's a, a separation, a difference between creating your own job and creating a business. I think there's many people who create their own job, and that's great because then they have control over when and where they work. Mm-hmm. Um, there's aspects of owning a business that come into play there, but as long as it's purely their effort and their time that they're inevitably getting paid for it's they've created their own job they haven't created their own business Mm -hmm. um making that leap into a business that operates um has a team i I think it's hard you know we talked about fear a little Mm -hmm. bit i think taking on that expense is is hard for anyone Um, delegating responsibility is hard for anyone, but I I would say that, you know, my proudest moments aren't when I've worked hard and made money, but it's when I'm snowboarding and I get a a text or something from Shay that they just landed a a client or they just finished Mm -hmm. up a shoot and it was, Hey, we were, I'm living my life and focus still, Mm-hmm. moving on and so I, I don't think I've figured it out or that we're there mm-hmm. um, but I do think that you know w- we believe that teams are involved in pretty much every great achievement and every great artistic effort if you look at videos or movies that you love they had a, a great team of people that, that pulled it together and so very rarely do you see just an individual make something amazing. And it does happen. And there is a, also with photography, there's the aspect of artist versus business person. And I think there's a, a line there that we, we float with um, mm-hmm. and dance with is, you know, part of me wants to be the artist and the artist is just making their own, art and hopefully people find them hopefully people love them versus the business where they're going out and doing something for others and as a creative business we always kind of fight with those that dichotomy of am I an artist or am I a business person Um, I do think having a team helps with that yeah I think that's so good and you mentioned something right at the start that I think is really important which is like might be better for some people to just stay on their own. Like that's not a bad thing. And and I've realized that, that it really just depends on what you want. 
Um, this last year for me was realizing that what I want is bigger than the system that I'm doing things in business wise. So I need to change some things because, um, I don't feel like I just want to create a job. And I know a lot of people, they've created a job through their creative passions and it's working super well and they love it. And I think they should keep doing that. But with that, like with it really coming down to just the vision that I guess as people and as business owners and as entrepreneurs, like understanding and being self-aware enough to know the vision that we want to build, what do you see down the road? Like what, what are the dreams that you have for FOCO? Um, cause I mean, you mentioned a journal that you were writing in three years before you even started FOCO. It's like, what are your dreams for this thing? Yeah. And those are things that change mm-hmm. all the time, but, um, Coming back to it, yeah, I do think that being a solopreneur or individual photographer, I think, is right for for most people. And honestly, the knowledge that if I failed, I always could still be just a, a solo photographer mm-hmm. um, was one of the safety nets that, that kind of encouraged me to keep pushing forward yeah. that if I wanted to just do weddings, I could do that and actually make a pretty good, mm-hmm. good living, partly from the reputation that FOCO has, yeah. has gained. Um, looking forward, we do, we want to um, venture more into uh, original works. So creating films, not because a client has hired us to do that, but because we have a story to tell. Hmm. So I'm shooting a, a short film coming up in May, cool. um, April and May. So hoping to premiere that at some point. But, um, you know, it's it's a lot of the continued, I think, escaping that, um, kind of the trappings that the articulate and that financial burden has placed on us and mm-hmm. really letting us explore what can FOCO create without that hindrance on us. And so I am a big proponent of travel. I love traveling. Um, And so having more of a presence internationally, whether Mm -hmm. that's London, um, Patagonia, um, we'd like to have our work that we've done. We've done some for a brand, Lululemon, which a lot of people recognize, Mm -hmm. and doing more work for that, having a, a higher viewership but Mm -hmm. ultimately i mean we enjoy having a team that gets along and just continue to to push the boundaries creatively if i could take it back actually to one thing that i think limits people from making that jump from solo person Mm -hmm. or job into a business is uh the fear of charging what you're worth yeah. Um, I think that when I first started my first wedding, um, I hope they don't mind me saying this, but I charged $300 and I went to the rehearsal dinner and I went to the rehearsal. I mapped out the site plan and created a game plan for where I was going to be during the ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me about a hundred hours of editing for that first wedding because I didn't know what I was doing, but I had come across my price point because that was half of 
my camera at that time. You know, I figured, <laughs> wow, if I could charge half of what my camera costs on one wedding, I was doing well. Right. And it wasn't until I started calculating and there are resources out there to help to calculate, you know, what are your expenses and do you have insurance? Do mm-hmm. you, are you paying employee? You know, all those factors. And right. then I said, oh, wow, we actually have to charge about $100 per man hour. Mm-hmm. And if you have to only charge that through the hours you have shooting, you're at 250 or $350 pretty quickly right? because you're working editing prices into your, your shooting times only. But that's hard for a lot of people to charge. And so... Yeah. And it's hard for people like for uh, people that are hiring you to like understand when they do the work and it's like, Oh, we're $250 an hour or whatever it might be, or, you know, $4,000 for a video. It's hard for people to understand that. So like, what do you, I don't just want to ask, like justify high prices for creatives, but I guess like shed some light into why quality creative work should probably be more expensive than it is. Sure. Well, I mean, just, I think everyone, um, buyer side and creative side, have to realize that what we're actually paying ourselves per hour is not what we're charging the client. That there's so many other things that that have to go into it. Totally. And if you don't factor in all those other costs, then you'll never reach that. But, um, you know, we talked about Hudson before going to. Um, open an escape room, you know, I think part of the reason he left the creative world is that his first video, um, again, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but when he broke off, started his own company, he landed a great client right away and charged more actually than FOCO had charged for, for many videos up until then. Mm -hmm. But after hiring the team to create it, he realized that he actually lost money by doing that project. And that's not fair to, to anyone. Um, and you could, could make an argument for he outhired the budget for the, the commercial. But if you have mm-hmm. people and really talented creatives who aren't making money, then they, they go elsewhere. Um, totally. So I think, you know, the old adage, you get what you pay for is true, but when someone, and we'll take a specific example, weddings, um, people think, oh, I only want you here for seven hours, and, you know, I only get paid $40 an hour, so seven times 40 is, you know, $280. Mm-hmm. How are you charging $4,000? Right. Well what they don't realize is that we have two hours of email back and forth. Plus we have a two hour engagement session that we spend four hours editing. Mm -hmm. And then we have, you know, just all that knowledge and experience, you know, we've shot over 350 weddings, Mm -hmm. um, that we bring with us. So you're, you're paying partly for the experience you're paying partly, you know, we're booking weddings in 2020. Mm-hmm. You know, most people don't have the the foggiest idea what they're doing September 3rd of 2020. Right. But um, you're asking me to reserve that day for you. Totally. Um, and then all the hours editing. So 
really where it comes into is about 45 hours of work translated to $4,500 at $100 per hour. And then that $100 per hour is a third of that goes to taxes. Mm -hmm. A third of that goes to the company. And then a third of that goes to the employee. And so, yeah, we're, we're charging a good price and we, we respect, we understand that, that, Mm -hmm. that is a lot of people for that are hiring us for a wedding, but we're definitely not getting rich off of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't know how expensive it is and complicated it is to run a business. Um, I also, I didn't know that when I started my business. So I remember like, I don't, for one, you know, I remember I did the math and it was like, sweet, I can charge $30 or $30 an hour for like a copywriting project. And I remember I was talking to somebody he's like, you need to triple your prices like right now in this meeting. I was like, okay, I charge $75 an hour. And he's like, okay, great. I'll hire you. Uh, but even then, like I, you just don't know what you don't know. I mean, now I tend to try and keep expenses for projects, including staffing at like 30 or 40% of revenue, which is hard. But I think when people realize like all of the expenses of a business, there's just, there's a ton of things that go into it when you start looking at taxes and all of that stuff. Um, I, my, what you said reminded me of a conversation I had with my dad because my dad's a professional artist, a professional watercolor artist. And, um, you know, a lot of his best work, he's taken hours and hours to paint, but he's so talented that he's done a lot of, you know, he'll spend an hour or even 10 minutes doing like a really cool abstract painting. And him and I were talking about it and realizing like, man, you could sell, like, these are amazing and the temptation would be to be like, oh, it took me 10 minutes, so I should sell it for 50 bucks. But in reality, what people are buying when they're buying a something that took a professional artist, even if it only took them 10 minutes to make, they're buying his 40 years of experience. They're buying his 40 years that it took him to be able to have the intuition, the um, like observing nature to actually be able to create something that was valuable that quick. Well, and I talk about that with my staff, there's that old metaphor of a locksmith, right? That on the first day he gets a call from a couple that they're locked out of their house or car on a cold day and the locksmith gets there and he fumbles around. He's new. He's trying out different things. The the husband is offering advice, like maybe try this, maybe try that, maybe try that. And it, it takes him an hour. And then finally, they get them in, and the bill for that is $85 or $100 that they're charging for this hour, and they gladly pay because it took him. He was obviously working hard for an hour. Right. And then that same locksmith studies and practice and becomes good, and then the same couple calls five years later, comes over, and within one minute he's able to, to get them in, charges them $100, and they say, whoa, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, you were only here for one minute. How right. can you charge that? Well, the outcome's the same, but it's all the practice, all the expertise that goes into it. And right. so with our staff, like, the, the better we've gotten, the faster we are. We need, you know, we, we know what we're looking for. Right. And so there is a little horse and pony show that if we're with a client, you know, 
we maybe got that shot the first time, but we still have to make them feel mm-hmm. like we're putting in extra extra effort. Totally. Um, but we're trying also to separate our pricing from hourly work. And mm-hmm. so most of our quotes now have a creative fee, it has a production fee, and then it has a usage fee. And nowhere in there do we say, this is how much per hour. Um, on a portrait session, we're still charging per hour, but that's where, um, yeah, it's hard to separate that mm-hmm. because we, as a you know U.S. population society, like to associate how much am I paying per hour, and we're trying to say no. Let's look at the outcome and what's right. the final product. Totally. Yeah, I think that's that's really good input and advice because um and that's one of the hardest changes i think that in creative companies it's so hard to transition from hourly to value and there's always those nerves that come in of like well you know how do i just like pick a value for what i'm worth and you know where's the for like we want to know the formula and unfortunately i feel like it's just something that over time you get better and better at figuring out what the value of your work is. But I think that if people, if more people can be moving towards more value-based than hourly, I think it's a good direction to be heading whether people are there or not. Right. And there was one like specific example I can think of where I had quoted a client who was happy to pay $3,000 and Shay and Ryan were doing the shoot and they were like, hey, we were actually able to to get it done in half the time. So then we only invoiced them for 1500 and I said, "Well, that's <laughs> we just left $1500 on the table because we're more skilled." Like that that mm-hmm. blows my mind. Like why why would we do that? Mm-hmm. Um and how does that hurt the company? And so that was one of the main that particular event was like, okay, we need to get away from a, right. an hourly based right. charge. Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, you've given a ton of valuable tidbits, but what would be some of your advice to other either current creative business owners or people that are like really excited to be launching or they're kind of in the works for launching a creative business, whether it's photography or design or marketing, whatever, what would some of your kind of words of advice be to those people? Man, that's a, t- a tough one. I think um, look at yourself both as a creative and as a business owner and, you know, try to, to be as self-aware as possible, but look at every operation from a financial perspective. Like why why are you doing it this mm-hmm. way and what are your self-limiting beliefs? Um, as far as like concrete examples, um I think it's a good exercise to go through what expenses do I have for the year? Mm-hmm. And then how many days of work do I have to cover those? And then that just needs to be an upcharge for every day that you're working. You have to also mm-hmm. add X amount. Um, and if you know your expenses, that's really easy. But you know, one thing with photography we didn't really calculate all the time was new equipment. Well, if we're taking photos or shooting video about 100 
you know, we're closer actually to 200 days per year, but say we're, we're buying $30,000 worth of new gear and then we're filming 150 days. Well, that means, you know, $200 per day just goes into Mm. new gear. Yeah. And so that has to be accounted for whether you're shooting four hours or six hours or, or eight hours. Um, and, and if you don't know your expenses, then it's hard to do that. So um, I also would advise people to seek advice. Mm-hmm. I think from the very beginning, having, you know, large businesses all have um, board of executives, boards of advisors. And even if you're a small individual artist, um, new business, having those advisors, I think is you know, Paramount and you had, I know I had a, a peer advisory group that mm-hmm. kind of formed that board of advisors. Um, but, you know, ask people that have been there. Totally. And I think that's one of the, the most important things people can do. Surround yourself. I think, you know, not to give a, a plug to the articulate, but having a, a community of like-minded people Right. is is also important so yeah, pushing yourself to be better but also holding yourself accountable you know it's easier to take a day off if people aren't there expecting you to be there mm-hmm. um, so having community around you lets you last in your profession longer that's great lastly what's what's been you implied some of these but what's been helpful are there resources or I don't know if you read or podcast or whatever. Like, are there any resources that have stood out that have been really particularly helpful for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm a a podcast and reading um, online education like fanatic. So, I think starting off, there were some platforms. Creative Live was hugely helpful for me. Um, I bought DVDs on how to run a photography business. I re- read books on it. I read pretty much every blog that was out there. There's YouTube channels. Um, Peter McKinnon is one that was was really influential. Um, That's great. Podcasts, uh, it's always been more of a business and self-improvement focus for me, not so much mm-hmm. of a creative, but um, how I built this, Freakonomics, You're Not So Smart, there's been tons of those but then locally in I think practical steps um, the SBDC of Fort Collins is really helpful in mm-hmm. starting a new business um, Loco Think Tank was uh, hugely helpful in in that um, I don't know I guess those that's are great. <laughs> those are good no that's you. great and one thing I will mention that I was not Expecting to me, like, I feel like we could continue this conversation on about the creek, like about creative businesses for a really long time. And, um, one of the ideas that I'll, I'll mention on the podcast and initially ask if you're a listener and you think this idea should happen, then send me either an email at Seth at story or message me on Instagram and say this idea should happen. But We've talked about in 2019 potentially launching a second podcast that is solely focused on creative businesses. 
and sitting down with people that are creating things for a living and kind of diving into some of the details of, of pricing and paying yourself and managing time and managing equipment and just like a lot of the details around creative businesses that um, are not talked about in public that often. And so I feel like a lot of people just like kind of assume and figure things out on their own and usually figure it out the hard way. So um, the question is, would you guys like a podcast that focused solely on telling the stories of small creative businesses and creative solopreneurs? Um, if that's something that would really resonate with you and even having people like Patrick backed where we had more in-depth conversations or potentially panel conversations about some of these topics, um, then we would love to know because that's something that's on our mind that might be a really good podcast for 2019. So um, maybe we'll see Patrick come back for that. But I'd love to. Cool. Thank you guys so much for listening. Patrick, thanks for coming and sharing some of your story. Um, and I encourage you to, is your guys' website just foco.com? It's actually pho-co.com. Okay. Cool. And what's your Instagram handle? Uh, that's a good question too. It's, uh, <laughs> I think it's pho underscore co. Okay. But if you Google pho co, we come up on, on cool. almost anything. That's awesome. Yeah. I encourage you to check out their photos. Uh, they really do incredible work. Um, some of the best that I've seen. And, uh, also if you're ever in Fort Collins, then come check out the articulate, uh, working space, which is great. And again, if you liked this episode, we encourage you to leave a review or send us some feedback and let us know that always helps and leaving reviews is the best way for the powers that be the gatekeepers of the podcasting world to know that they should send this podcast to more people. Um, so thank you guys for listening. And again, Patrick, thanks for showing up to share some of your story. Thank you. Welcome back to the part of the show where we sit down with our local business expert, business guru, Kurt Bear. Thanks, Seth. The Fort Collins business bear. Uh, and we just dive into what can be learned. It's great to have conversations, but we want to walk away with tangible things. And this conversation with Patrick was so valuable because we really haven't had anybody on the podcast yet that's really specialized in the creative field, um, even though there's a ton of creative businesses. So, Kurt, what were some things that we can really learn from this conversation I just had with Patrick? You know, I just I just thought of one more that uh, that I have to mention, which is, you know, the whole creative thing. Why are we being punished for turning something around really quickly with a high production quality? Because we're getting better right. and better. Right. And uh, anyway, that was I'll, I'll, you know your listeners just had that, but I didn't I didn't write that one down, but I loved that element. Yeah, yeah it was an interesting example. And it's. Uh, it's true. The locksmith, uh, the locksmith's tale was awesome. But uh, the things that I wrote down to take away, uh, breaking down the difference between a creative business and being a creative self-employed. I think Patrick really unpacked that for the readers. And when it wasn't all, all roses and flowers, you know, uh, of scaling from that self-employed photographer to, to having a team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had many conversations off the record with him about uh, how there is pros and cons to both sides. And, you know, it 
some in some ways it sounds attractive to hire a team and hire employees, mm-hmm. um, but there's different pains that come with that. And so I thought they did a good job of showing how it, you know it just depends on what you want to build. Yeah, yeah, and I think one of the the key things that he also pulled out of that was the best things are almost always created by a team. You know, the the most creative work, the films, the things like that, the the great wedding. Mm-hmm albums, whatever. It's just too hard in many cases to do the very, be the very best at your industry if you're just solo. That doesn't mean it isn't for some people. Right. Or to be a subcontractor for somebody that's pulling together a great team. That happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, number two I have here, you know, just to be in, not try to just go it alone and to be in a community of encouragement, to, to be around people that have been there, done that. Um, the community built at the Articulate is a great example of that, and, and thanks for the, thanks Patrick for the props on the Loco Think Tank membership too, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know just whatever that looks like for you, um, you know read a lot of books, yes, but but be around people that have actually either are experiencing or have experienced a lot of those same kind of things. Yeah, he said something at the end of his interview. I th- I think this is the quote where he said that you um, pretty much being around community, having a community around you increases your chances of lasting long. And it sounds so simple. It sounds like, oh yeah, that's the thing I'll give a thumbs up to. But it really is, it's just true. I can, I know that I would not have lasted four years without the community, whether it was co-working spaces or mastermind groups or anything. Like I know that I would not have made it as far as I have. Well, they really, even, even in the social sciences, you know, poverty isn't just a financial thing. It's really got a lot to do with who is that community around you that can mm-hmm. that can be there for you when things get dicey. Right. Um, yeah. Because most of us have at least one period in our lives that gets dicey. But uh, anyway, sidebar, as I'm good for. And then uh, the last thing I really loved about Patrick's interview was, you know, his element of knowing his tribe when he found it um, and his tribe, you know, knowing him when they found uh, somebody they want to be part of. Shay in particular, mm-hmm. you know, has been a bedrock employee for him. And uh, she didn't have a, a resume that said, this is the person that, she, that I should start mm-hmm. building my tribe with. But uh, but that resonance of purpose and, and, you know, have people on the bus that want to be on the bus. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, an important thing. And, and nobody builds a great business without building a great team. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it made me wonder how many... How many shays, if you will, Shay? I hope you're listening to this. But how many shays there are for businesses that maybe they, you know, maybe they've passed up on giving someone a chance um, who might seem like too young or not have the experience or something. When um, if you know you take somebody under your wing that has the passion for it and teach them and give them the tools to succeed, um, they, I mean. Patrick would not be where he is today without Shay. I know, I know that yeah. very well. She's yeah. become a staple. Oh yeah, she's built her own reputation, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, so, yeah, good for them to for recognize the mutual value of that continuing relationship as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and over the next couple of weeks, we'll have um, some more guests on the show that are more in the creative space. Um, and so I think we'll probably hear more about some of these things as far as the difference between, you know, what do you contract out and what do you keep in house and how do you build these things? And so it'll be fun to see, um, see more of these conversations. Um, and maybe have Patrick back one day cause he's close by and it's so evident that he has, he just has a head full of wisdom with the creative space that yeah. so many people have launched and tried something creative and then 
you know, given up for the nine to five. And so I have a lot of respect for him and what yeah, he's built. He's a, he's strong in the perseverance for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, as always, thank you so much for listening to the small business storyteller show. We'll be back next week with another conversation, um, that you can learn from the successes and the failures of small businesses. And, uh, if you are listening on a podcasting app, then we encourage you to leave a review and send that review to us. Um, we would love to get your feedback and share this episode with a creative, you know, share it with a struggling and a successful creative. And we'll see you next week on the small business storytellers. 